0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race, hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, shaggy and tlc jason isbel and the 400 unit the chicago symphony orchestra and more their 30 acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants tickets available now only at Ravinia.org. welcome back to the reset podcast i'm your host sasha ann simons Today, we hear from Illinois Congressman Adam Kinzinger. He was one of just 10 House GOP members who voted to impeach President Trump after the January 6th insurrection. And he's one of just two Republicans on the House Select Committee investigating that attack. On Friday, the Republican National Committee censured him and Congresswoman Liz Cheney of Wyoming, saying they, quote, support Democrat efforts to destroy President Trump. The RNC also called the events of January 6th legitimate public discourse. Last year, Kinzinger announced that he would not seek re-election. He joins us now to talk about his future and the future of the Republican Party. Congressman, welcome back to the program.
1: Well, thanks. Good to be with you.
0: Representative Cheney said Friday's censure marked, quote, a sad day for the party of Lincoln. Congressman, is there room for any dissent in the Republican Party right now?
1: I think that's an open question. I think certainly today, if you look at it, no. I mean, you know, the Republican Party would call values uh, is now basically supplanted by loyalty to one man and loyalty to falsehoods. The fight is to get the party back to where truth matters. There's, I think, been a pretty significant backlash against the RNC, but we'll see if that stays. If the Republicans want to be a party of the majority of the future, they have to recommit or maybe commit themselves here now to truth. And also to having a wide coalition, but it doesn't seem like that's where we're at at the moment.
0: Given that, is there room for you in this party?
1: You know, it's it's a question I ask myself every day, but here's where we're at. We understand there's only two real major parties in this country. The Republicans have a significant role in governing, and I think it has to be fought for. That will be a decision that party members ultimately make. Uh, but I think you have to have a good fight for the future of the party. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'll do through Country First. But we'll see ultimately what people choose. Will they will they actually react and respond to truth? Or does misinformation and fear and lies, you know, have power over folks? They can't be broken.
0: Just so it's clear to our listeners, uh, this censure is largely symbolic. But right. does it have greater implications?
1: I think it sends a strong message from the RNC, the actual Republican National Committee, that there is no room for anybody to do anything outside of pledge loyalty to a failed president. And, you know, you think about the fact that this passed with voice acclamation by voice vote, and you know that within that crowd there are people that didn't want this done but were too scared to speak out. And I think that is a kind of a substory of that, is people being afraid to stand out against the mob.
0: Does it show just how much influence Donald Trump still has within this party?
1: I think it does. I think it shows how much influence, even beyond Donald Trump, that the idea of Trumpism has. Look, you can raise a ton of money using fear, convincing people that, you know, short of supporting you, their family's going to be destroyed or their lifestyle's going to be destroyed. You can compel anybody to part with their money. Unfortunately, that's a tactic that's been learned, and that's something that— The American people, not just political leaders, the American people have to rise up against. But that's going to take time. It took us a while to get to this position. Yeah.
0: Well, some Republican lawmakers like Florida Senator Marco Rubio, they're saying the January 6th committee wants to embarrass and harass Republicans. Is that true?
1: Yeah, of course not. I mean, you know, what happened on January 6th is a really dark day. These are the kind of events you see in countries that have not just struggling democracies, but democracies on the verge of collapse. And had after January 6 we taken a full inventory of what happened, we being Republicans, took responsibility for it, that would be one thing. But that didn't happen. And there's a lot of information we're learning on this committee that was unknown. Some of it's out there in public, some will be eventually out there in public. Our job is to get to the truth. My job is to make sure that in 5, 10, 20 years, the history books reflect accurately that day, free of the kind of conspiracies that we hear every day that change and are forgotten and then, you know, echoed.
0: Can you share some of those unknowns or at least tell us the status of your work right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, the status is that we are, you know, trying to connect the dots and we're having success. In terms of what did the president know, I think a key question, which I can't answer yet, although we're getting some information, is did he suspect there would be violence? What did he know prior? Because that goes to the president's mindset. I think the bottom line is this. The president abdicated his oath that day. He either sat watching TV and did nothing with indecision or he encouraged it. Either way, it's an abdication of your oath, but that could be the difference between a criminal abdication or just a failure to do your job. Now, we're not out to do criminal prosecutions. That's up to the DOJ, but they certainly, I'm sure, will look at any evidence we put together and put for the report.
0: You mentioned this briefly, Representative, but last January, in the wake of that Capitol riot and and Trump's failed second impeachment, you launched your country first movement. Tell us about that.
1: Well, it's interesting. I launched it after January 6th and kind of was under the impression that, you know, we would be able to turn this corner quickly. And I'll be open and honest, disappointed over any progress being made in the last year in terms of the party. But Country First has exploded, and the purpose of this is just to say, put your country over your politics. You know, politics is important. We're all going to have issues we disagree on. We've been disagreeing on the same issues for 100 years. But right now, democracy is a threat. We need to defeat toxic tribalism. We need to learn to speak together again, even with differences. And we now have over 100,000 members, and we have chapters in every state. And we're launching a mission now called Primary First. And the purpose of that is there are some people that live in Republican districts that will never have an opportunity if they don't vote in that primary to determine who represents them. It's a significant Republican district. And we're encouraging disaffected Republicans, Democrats and independents to show up and vote in those Republican primaries, because you may not like the choices, but certainly there might be a choice that actually believes in the Constitution. So we're going to be selective in picking those. They only work in certain states. But we hope to put the fear of God into some of these folks that think they can go out and just destroy the Constitution simply to win a job.
0: So would you say country first is, is also a response to rising extremism within the Definitely. Republican Party?
1: Yeah. It, for me, it was launched as a result of that rising extremism in the party, the, the lack of commitment to truth. And it has morphed into that as well as people just wanting to learn to come together again and explore differences. So uh, I'm excited about what it's already done. I think this year is going to be even more explosive, even more effective. And I'm pretty excited about it. And the, the website, by the way, is country1st.com. I'd encourage people to look.
0: Representative, Illinois' legislative map was updated in October. In your district, it actually changed quite a bit That month is when you also announced that you wouldn't seek reelection. Why?
1: You know, it's a combination of things. Obviously, and, and I think we need to be clear, gerrymandering is a problem in this country. Ten years ago, I was drawn in with another Republican member of Congress that I had to run against. That was done again this time. But I've also been in Congress at the end of this term 12 years. And I look at it and go, you know, we're fighting these same battles in the party. Where can I be more effective at fighting those battles? And I think we have to go on a broader stage, not just you know from a, a, a significant and important corner of Illinois, but take this national, take this fight national. And it's always been kind of a conflict between running again for re-election and then also fighting to destroy the toxicity in our politics. So for me, it was the right decision, and I just had a, a new son born three weeks ago, and I couldn't be happier oh, congratulations. about my decision to move on from this job, but I'm not going away in politics.
0: Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thanks. You, you've been a congressman since 2010. I wonder why you got into public service, though, in the first place.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So I got back from Iraq and uh, announced my candidacy pretty much right after that, And it was because I actually believe in what this country stands for, what it does. I believe in its role around the world, even if we disagree on some of those details. You know, America has a a really important place. And and we've changed lives beyond our borders, you know, repeatedly, thinking of the people behind the Iron Curtain. And I looked at that and go, look, if I'm willing to fight for my country on the outside, I'll fight for it on the inside. And I remember thinking to myself, I'll be willing to take a career-ending vote if it's the right vote to take. And unfortunately, not many people are willing to do that. I thought my vote would be something on some kind of a financial reform or something that's tough. I had no idea it would be just defending democracy at its base instincts. But it's such an important fight. And uh, there's moments where you feel discouraged, but I'm just as committed, if not more, to defending democracy in this country than I've ever been. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, aside from being a new dad, what do you think (laughs) is, is next in your political future?
1: I've got a year left in Congress. So I'm going to focus on that. Obviously, my main focus is the January 6th committee and getting information there. In terms of anything that comes next, I'll leave that door open, but I'm not sitting around plotting. I mean, for me, I think there is always benefit for people in politics to take a little bit of a breather sometimes to reset their kind of focus and expectations and be able to come in with a fresh view. But I intend to to not go away. I think. Uh, not for me, but for the country. We need people that are willing to speak out. And unfortunately, uh, that seems to be far and few between today.
0: Well, we know that you've said before that you are worried about the role that Trump could play in the upcoming midterms. Last week, you actually urged Democrats and independents to form a, quote, uneasy alliance with Mm anti-Trump Republicans. How would that work?
1: I think we have to recognize in countries that have successfully defeated authoritarian movements, you see folks on the left and right join forces to do that. It's an uneasy alliance, because we don't always trust each other. We don't always agree on the issues. But this is the biggest issue. In the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, this is on food and shelter. And that's why we need an uneasy alliance. And that's why, through Country First, we're encouraging in specific district members, you know, independents and Democrats that know they're going to have a Republican representative, to vote in those primaries for the better of the two and to defeat that authoritarian movement.
0: Well, To that end, yesterday, Democratic West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin crossed party lines to support Alaskan Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski. She's facing a primary challenge from someone with the backing of Trump and the Alaskan Republican Party. Do you think we need to see more of this?
1: Yeah, I think it would be great to see more of that. I mean, Lisa could go full MAGA and uh, easily win reelection. She has chosen to stand by her principles. I think that seeing Joe Manchin support her is a good thing. And again, I think it's the recognition that no matter what the policies are, because again, all this stuff we're debating today, we debated 100 years ago, and God willing, we'll be debating it in 100 years. Mm -hmm. Right now, the biggest threat is that there is a truth crisis in the Republican Party. And Lisa mikowski has been committed to truth, and to see that kind of support is good.
0: Former President Trump is notorious, though, for retaliating against mm. his critics. and You are, as we know, one of his most vocal ones. How has this decision to stand up to the former president impacted your life?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it's not been an easy thing. You go, imagine all your social circles, and then you start... Imagining some of those based on kind of a political view and, you know, you lose friends or people that you thought were actual friends that aren't, there's definitely a price to pay there. But I got to tell you, if I could go back in time and take the vote to impeach again and do all that, I would do it in a heartbeat. Because to me, standing up for truth, saying the right thing, there's no cost that's too great to bear for that. We read historical quotes all the time with people that say inspirational things about leadership. Leadership is hard. That's why not many people do it. Uh, I know my son's going to be proud of me someday when he reads about it, and that to me is the kind of thing that matters.
0: Well, you know, you're not just losing friends. Eleven members of your family also signed a letter saying, you know, they're embarrassed to be related to you. Tell us, what's the latest on that disagreement with some of your family members?
1: Oh, it's still pending. I, uh, You know, look, I've forgiven them in my heart. I think that's important to do. I don't hold any personal ill will, but I also don't see any reason to try to repair that relationship. Sometimes there are toxic relationships out there that you have to walk away from. These are some of my dad's cousins. And, you know, just reading the vitriol in a letter, angry that I've lost the support of people like Mark Levin. (laughs) Okay, I guess we're not going to see eye to eye on that. And ultimately that anger in your heart is going to do more damage to you than it is to me. And I refuse to let it affect me.
0: Well, we talked about the hold that Donald Trump continues to have uh, on the Republican Party. What about the hold he has on much of this country?
1: Are you worried Hmm. about that? I am, because, you know, one thing you learn is somebody only has power if people perceive that they have power. Ultimately, otherwise, he's just got the strength of an older man. And uh, when people fear him or people believe that he has the influence he does— then he does have that influence. And I think we've seen clearly over the last year, and even in the last few months particularly, he's becoming more and more unhinged. He's becoming more and more unmoored from truth. And when that happens, people follow in that. And if we get to a point in this country, which we're close to if not there, where we don't have a common set of beliefs and facts, despite our differences, it's hard to self-govern. These are the kinds of things that destroy self-governance, Because we're learning now that governing yourself is actually really hard work.
0: Well, when you think about the future of democracy in this country, what comes to mind?
1: There's a great book I recently read called How Civil Wars Start. And if you look at what leads to civil wars in other countries, and it's not, you know, the blue against the gray, north against the south. It's militias and violence and targeted hits. If you look at what it does, it's when people begin to divide themselves by race, by ethnic identity, they begin to to become communities or they begin to surround specific individuals, and I worry that there could be a moment in this country that explodes in violence. And so I used to not talk about it because I feel like maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but I actually think we have to be aware of that to stop it now. Because if you see stories of people in Bosnia, for instance, or Iraq after the U.S. invasion, when civil wars broke out, they never saw it coming. We need to see this coming and stop it and form that uneasy alliance.
0: that's it for today's reset podcast for more conversations on what's happening across your state check your feed every weekday afternoon for a new episode i'm sasha ann simons have a great day and we'll see you back here tomorrow